So, hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Sound Cast for this season with myself, Glyn Price, and I'm joined as usual by Ollie after a two-week gap. How are you, Ollie? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It feels it's been quite a stop-start with the international breaks and um, having, um, yeah, obviously a game off last week with the, the um, obviously, Berry game not going ahead. So, yeah. Yeah, it was it was good to be back and um, yeah, watching Shrewsbury Town again. Recharge the batteries for two weeks. Yeah, it's been it's been good, hasn't it? But we have got a game to talk about, and this week uh, we're joined by a guest as well in in Phil Thomas. So yeah, debut on the podcast, Phil. So good of you to join us. Thanks for the invitation. Good to speak to you guys. It's good stuff. And uh, we we always start as you'll probably know from a list of the podcast with a bit of background on our guests. So um, I've obviously known you for a long time. I think Ollie has as well. But um, yeah, go on, give us your your background. When did you start following uh, Shrewsbury? I uh, started following in 1992, but I have an admission of guilt. Sorry, gents. My first game Uh-oh. was actually a Telford United match. Not many <laughs> people know this, but um, both me and my brother, Ant, who's been on here before talking about the Shrewsbury financials, we used to pester our mum about going to the football. And she thought <laughs> it was too dangerous at the time to go to Shrewsbury. So she said, I'll take you to another game. And Telford United were at home. They were playing oh. the Oval, believe it or not. Uh, my mum wasn't much of a football fan. She took us along and she loved it absolutely loved it and she was like we'll go again next week and thank to the stars very fortunately Telford United were away Shrewsbury were at home uh, and from then on she's had a season ticket ever since and that was <laughs> 1992 so uh, we were very lucky and blessed on that day you uh, you could have gone a very different way there to Phil we, m- we might not be friends to be honest with you if, this, if things had gone different but um, yeah there you go you dodged that bullet and, and you came into the Shrewsbury fold like the rest of us so obviously 1992 yeah it's a, it's a long while back so yeah go on what about your favourite player yeah, favourite player. I think the following season, 93-94, was tremendous. Mm. Shrewsbury, you know, won the third division title, or what was Division 3 in old money then. Uh, and Dean Spink captained the team, and he's certainly the player I had on the back of my shirt. Uh, I loved watching him. He was really good. We used to go to the Junior Blues every week, and he's always turn up and, you know, spend time autographing yeah. shirts and footballs and boots etc and it was just a pleasure to watch in terms of the goals he scored very crucial goals as well proper club man wasn't he I, I've said this on the podcast before but one of the reasons I ended up being a Shrewsbury Town fan was that Dean Spink was doing one of the sort of in the community things and came to my school when I was a kid and that was kind of my first sort of realisation of Shrewsbury Town existing really and then from there I think it was a, a sort of half a year later some friends and family took us and that's how I feel in love with it so yeah I got a lot to thank Dean Spink for so yeah I'm glad he's your favourite player um, Phil but yeah we brought Phil on you know not just because he went to the game this week and, and, and he's a good lad but um, he's been doing some stuff on Twitter, Ollie, that has piqued your interest over the last few weeks, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been it's just been interesting. Um, Phil's been posting um, some really interesting stats, um, and yeah, um, as as Bean Glenn always say, Twitter is definitely the the place um, in 2019 to kind of kind of get involved. I was saying kind of football chat. Um, but yeah, you've been sharing some quite interesting stuff, Phil. So kind of what's the background to it? Yeah, sure. So I've, I've had a bit of a geeky interest in stats for some time and kind of my background or oh, many years ago when I was at university, I studied physics, which is very mathsy based and geeky based. And we like our numbers as physicists. And then <laughs> after that, I fell into the profession of being a chartered accountant, which for our sins also leads to a kind of mathematical background and requiring statistical approach. So it all kind of led to this epiphany of actually I could apply this to some of the shrew stats and have a look at it Um, and in addition to that I'm studying some computer coding courses at the moment and I thought probably a good opportunity to start downloading some data and looking at the shrews and Glyn I've seen you posting a few stats here and there Mm. and I thought we had a conversation about different sources of data to come from uh, and being able to get a big data set and have a look and it's been really quite interesting and useful to not just look at what's happening at the moment, but for me personally, having started following the shrews in 92, I didn't really appreciate the history before then. Uh, When you put it into a statistical approach, you actually learn a lot about 
what the town were doing when they first joined yeah. the league in 1950, how the, the league structure worked, etc. And it kind of led from there, really, in terms of trying to visualize things. I always say a picture tells a thousand words. And so being able to put it into a pretty graph or a diagram and visualize it makes it a little bit easier for everyone to take in. Yeah, there's been some fascinating stuff, hasn't there, Ollie, to be fair. And one, one thing I should say, me and Phil are kindred spirits in terms of our love of stats, but Phil's graphs are a lot more pretty. I just use a crappy Excel <laughs> spreadsheet graphs and stuff, whereas Phil turns them into lots of pretty things. But it's good, isn't it? Some of the recent ones have been really interesting, Ollie. Yeah, I, re- I thought it was one of the ones you did about um, average games um, in each league. Um, again, which I thought was quite interesting. So Colin, what was the kind of summary there, Phil? Yeah, so I basically downloaded all the data of every match we'd played in the league since 1950. So that's almost 70 years worth of data. If you think about it, that's like 3,000 data points. So quite exciting for a geek like me. Uh, (laughs) And what I noticed was um, when I looked at who we'd played the most, Within the top 10, I was surprised by a couple of the names. So, for example, Bournemouth and Brighton and Hove, Mm. Albion, who are both Premier League teams now, right? They appear in our top 10. Uh, The number one rank, far outweighing any other team that we'd we'd played against, was Warsaw. And so that was interesting to say, oh, are they really our main rival? You know, people talk Mm. about the the Wrexhams and the Chesters and the Herefords, but actually Warsaw are that team that... You know, we had our highest attendance against them back in the day. We've played them the most. They're not too far away. I always joke we can smell their ground from our stadium. Uh, <laughs> you know, so um hope any of Walsall fans aren't offended by that who are listening. But They don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting. And then another point I looked at was I thought, OK, well, people always talk about bogey teams. You know, who do we tend to play and then lose against who we got a streak against and I thought okay well I'll have a look at which teams in that 70 year gap have we lost the most against um, so I look at a loss ratio which says if we've played 10 games against them and we've lost five that's 50 percent loss ratio for example um, and across those 70 years Norwich are our bogey team so we've wow. lost 75 um, percent of the games we've played against them 15 out of 20 But of course, we haven't played Norwich for quite a while, right? So looking a little bit more recently, I took the data and I looked at it just from 2000 onwards, so turn the millennium. Um, And actually, the two teams that come up as bogey teams are Torquay and Swindon, interestingly. So Swindon, for Mm. example, we played them 12 times in the league since 2000 and lost eight of them. So that's 67%. So sometimes you hear people say, oh, they're our bogey team. Well, Recently, it's Swindon. Uh, Torquay were always a bad one. And then over time, it's Norwich. Interesting. I would have probably had a good guess at Swindon, Ollie, just because I think I've been to the, the ground there a few times, Watchtown, and we never seem to have a good record there. But I don't, didn't we beat Norwich last time we played them? Wasn't it, didn't we play a cup game a while back? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, I think we did. Anyway, there we go. Yeah, in the League Cup, I'm sure we did. So maybe we started to turn that stat around, Phil. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to have these stats out there because one of my issues is is that as a, as a football club, and, and Phil and Ollie will probably agree with this, we don't actually have a sort of resource where as fans... We can go and get easy stats to hand. We can look at, you know, breathe on them, salop, and try and put bits and pieces together based on the football club stats. But um, obviously that book was last produced in, what, the late 90s and then had a short update. So, you know, seeing this sort of stuff is quite unique for us as fans. We don't tend to get it from the football club. So, yeah, I commend Phil for what he's been doing, really. It's good to see it. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, we'll definitely keep retweeting out and we'll use the stats when we can on the podcast. There was just one mm. last one I thought was interesting is that what which division have we spent the most time in? Yeah, very good question. So I had a look at this and if you classify the old Division 3 as as what we call the third tier of English football, so what is now League One, we've actually played 60% of our league games in League One in the third mm. tier, which was much higher than I expected. 
Um, and so when you put that into perspective, it says, are we at the right level? Is this our level where we've been historically compared to where we were? Now, if you cut it into different time periods and you went back to a fan who started supporting us in the 80s, they would, of course, experience us being in the championship. Whereas mm. if you started a fan who joined us at the turn of the, the century in 2000s, well, they obviously hit the lows before they hit the highs and we were in a <laughs> conference for a season. But since then, we've seen an upward trajectory you know, to where we are now in League One. Um, and if you think about the 2017-2018 season under Paul Hurst when we finished third, that was our highest league finish for the best part of 30 years since 1990. So it, it puts it all into perspective. And I guess we're going to come on to the Lincoln game and talk about what our expectations are after that game. But if we were to finish 12th or 13th where we are now, that would be our second highest finish for almost 30 years, as an example. Mm. Yeah, it's very efficient. Coming the um, un- the official or unofficial, <laughs> then yeah, stats man for Shrewsbury. But yeah, really intro- interesting, Phil. Thanks for sharing. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean that's that's good. It's been it's good been good to have a chat about something different because obviously we're going to move now on to Lincoln Hill, Shrewsbury Hill, where to be honest with you, there was a lot of padding required to to bring this up to a podcast standard length, wasn't it, Raleigh? Because um, yeah, mamma mia, there wasn't too many talking points from the game, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I guess after after that uh, intro, we should, we should go straight into the game. There, it's to Lawrence. He's been left for Bobby Grant onto his left foot, and he drives his second and doubles Shrewsbury Town lead. So Lincoln nil, Shrewsbury Town nil. Friday night game, obviously. <laughs> I'd say it's quite rare, but actually, Phil should point you out. There's actually been quite a lot of Friday night games, so we'll let Phil explain that in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the last time we played these guys was the EFL Trophy, which we'll we'll move on from. Um, in the week, <laughs> um, bad news um, about Lang. So Lang was injured with a fractured metatarsal, so that's going to put him out for a while. Got um, it. So I just often do the game the day before the game um, or on the day game. I, I did a prediction of the team, and unfortunately, I was right. Um, so we had the, <laughs> our normal back three in the sense that. That um, um, Ebanks Landers injured, so we had Williams, Pierre, Beckles, Love, and Giles wingbacks. Smithfield trio of Goss, Laurent, and Norburn, and um, Cummings and Okinabiri up front. So um, obviously this was a Friday night game, so rules, normal rules don't apply. Um, so I watched this on iFollow after having probably far too, a few too many pints. Um, went to <laughs> the pub quite early, um, and yeah. So Phil, I believe Phil, you went to the game, and Glyn, um, yeah, you watched this on iFollow as well. No, no chance I get a Lincoln on a Friday night. I've done. I think it's probably one of the only one or two games I missed this season. So I went I don't, to the um, one I don't where feel too um, bad about we it. crashed them, which was a fun one, I have to say. Yes, yeah, the five-one, the Ainsworth game. But yeah, I've been to Lincoln loads of times, so I decided to d- display a weekend off football card, and um, that's why we got Phil on. Because obviously, you went up, didn't you? You live down in London, don't you, Phil? So it was not too, as hard journey up from there as it would have been for us, I guess. Yeah, it was. It's actually a long way from anywhere. I think to be honest, yeah, Lincoln true. is one of those places. So um, we we got the train up. Me and my twin brother Ant um, took best part of two and a half hours, and then kindly we got a lift back with another Salop fan, I think, who's been on the pod is uh, Dan Huff. No, Dan's not been on the podcast yet, but he's someone who played for the away sporters a couple of weeks back, and, and first time in about 10 years he played for us. So I had a chat with him then, and uh, I think we'll try and get Dan on at some point this season as well. But uh, yeah, so you, you got there. Some town fans, it took three and a half hours to get there, apparently, so you did better than them. But um, yeah, got there, and uh, I suppose Ollie, uh, obviously watching our eye follow, I don't think it was that exciting the opening period, but I don't know, Phil, we'll start with you. That opening exchange is what we're what did you feel as the game sort of developed? Yeah, I think first thing to say is not many people have commented on the weather, but just before kickoff, oh, okay. it absolutely chucked it down. While we were stood outside eating our glorious cuisine of chips, cheese and mayonnaise, real northern <laughs> treat, um, it chucked it down. And also it was quite a lot of wind. And what we noticed early in the game was that the town centre-halves were actually complaining to Max O'Leary about his goal kicks 
because either he was spreading them yeah. too wide and they were going out for throw-ins or they were just blowing up in the air and coming straight back at him. So um, it was a classic kind of lower league football game in terms of slippery pitch and very windy, which knocked the quality. Uh, I don't know if we can excuse that, the teams for their lack of quality or blame the weather, but it was pretty poor. Yeah, interesting. I, I wanted to ask you two a question, really, because from, from watching that opening period, we came out and it appeared to be that we were very conservative in that opening period, even though Lincoln, I didn't think Lincoln were much good over, over the course of the game either, really. But do you think that do you think Ricketts had given them an instruction to go out there and play that first 15, 20 minute spell, um, you know, just to kind of figure out what way the game was going to go? Or do you think it was a case of us just being put under a bit of pressure and, and us reacting to it? I think Lincoln are coming off the back of in different form since the Cowley brothers left. And so they were really mm. keen to impress. Um, if we look at the stats again, they make a lot of passes. They've made, you know, over... 30% more passes than we have this season uh, but mm. a lot of those passes are sideways they're kind of a crab team so I think they were trying to impose themselves on the team I think Ricketts admitted in his post-match comments that Lincoln have a good record at home they average two points a game at home uh, they're obviously yeah. used to winning after getting promotion from League Two and he said it wasn't the kind of place you come and play open football so it was definitely a conservative approach to kind of try and build into the game. What about you, Ollie, about that opening period? What, what would yeah, you think? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, it took quite a while for Shrewsbury Town to, took maybe, I don't know, two thirds of the first half to kind of get into the game. Definitely, yeah. I think definitely we were sitting off them. Um, and I think, yeah, the first real chance fell to, fell to Lincoln, um, where a bit of where Town kind of played themselves into trouble. Um, so Goss was under a bit of pressure, plays Beckles into trouble, and Lincoln counterattacked. Um, but they fired from over the box, and while Lincoln had possession, um, I thought they they found it really really difficult to kind of break our lines, and they never really got behind our central defenders, which meant that they were kind of ended up shooting um, from from distance. Or mm. when they did have an effort, they were under a lot of pressure from a town defence. It definitely felt like a, a back five in that opening in that opening period, which it's it's it works well. You know, like you can't complain about how well our defenders and goalkeeper and, and the wing backs are doing when they sit in and, and make themselves hard to beat. You know, there's not many teams that can unpick them, and I just I just felt in that opening period that's what we were trying to do. Um, obviously, the game of it developed as it went on into some some slightly different um, periods of play, but in that opening period, it wasn't great to watch on iFollow. I can't imagine it was overly exciting to watch it while you were there either, Phil. Was it? No, you're right. First 30 minutes, we were kind of like, where are we? It didn't feel like we'd really turned up. And, um, no. you know, it did take the last 10, 15 minutes. It felt like we were building into the game. Yep, um, I hope. And the, the first real, what I would call real town chance was um, town move forward. Good bit of play from Jason Cummings, who kind of nipped in and stole the ball from a poor defensive pass. And everyone thought he was going to shoot and he passed it to Faye, who unfortunately slipped on the edge of the box. Mm. <laughs> and that was that, that chance either way. But that was the only real... I guess light point for a Tang perspective for the first half. It came from a mistake by them as well. It wasn't we didn't really pressure him into that mistake. He just coughed the ball up embarrassingly to Cummins. And I, I don't know about you, Ollie. I thought that the, the the first time or second time shot was on for Cummings. But um, having looked at it back, he got closed down a bit quicker than I thought on on the on the day watching it on iFollow. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he should have done better, Cummins? No, I thought Cummins did well. Good, good, yeah, nice okay. pass, Doc Inabiri. Um and yeah, it was for me. It's really unfortunate that he slipped because that's the kind of area where you wanted to shoot. Uh, I remember watching the game against um, Newcastle um, in the week, um, the week before, um, and Faye scored from a kind of similar distance. And yeah. he's clinical when he gets into those areas. And 
Um, interestingly, in the post-match, Sam Ricketts said that you know Faye was conf- felt that he would have scored if he hadn't slipped. And do okay. you guys think he probably would have scored in that situation if he hadn't slipped? He's clinical, isn't he? Normally, Phil, you would have you would have normally backed him, but as I say, that unfortunate slip. You know, I don't know. I, I you know normally I'd back him to score. I don't know what about you, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. I think Faye, from the goals he scored and the record he has, he's the kind of striker that hits on sight, shoots on sight, doesn't hold back. So he wouldn't have waited for a support or to pass it back to Cummings. He would have hit that without a doubt. What what do you two make of what? Well, having watched it for the first time, I suppose we've we've not seen Faye and Cummings too often together, have we? I suppose so no, it's far. The first time. Yeah, it looks like that's going to be something we'll probably see a lot more going forward. With obviously Lang being injured, we've not mentioned it yet, but Morrison's obviously moved on, and and there's not going to be a player for us anymore. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see those as a front two. What do you make of the the, the early watch of them in this game? I think it's an interesting point that Ricketts seemed like he wanted some sort of target man, be that Morrison or Lang in his team. Um, mm. And so then suddenly playing with two shorter strikers makes it very difficult. We saw in that first half a lot of long balls going their way and they had no chance. Yeah. Lincoln traditionally are a big team and there was no change, no difference this time round. And so we can't win that in the air. We need to play defeat. And I think that will change our style or force our style to change over the next weeks. Yeah, I think so. I think he's, he's probably right there, isn't he, Ollie? In terms of, again, it was obvious in that first half we hit too many long balls um, and and they just weren't winning their headers. I think, again, he looked at the stats and at half time they'd won like, you know, 70% of their aerial challenges, Lincoln, and it just showed, didn't it, that they were given, we were giving them a little bit too much ball in the air at times. But um, I don't know. For me, I think they're going to be a decent little partnership if we can get it, say, like Phil says, and change that play around. They're both tricky, diminutive, and, and have probably got a, a cheeky goal in them sort of thing that you might not expect from the other strikers we've got at the club. So I'm quite excited to see how it develops. Sorry, what about you? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an, a dynamic partnership to yeah. um, strikers that have got good finishing. Um, both got a bit of pace about them, and both quite you know quite intelligent players. I'd say for this level, um, in terms of us playing long ball, I don't really think that's worked for us well. I can't think of a, a game where long ball football's actually worked to been effective for us. Where if we <laughs> no. actually get the ball down to feet and pass the ball, I think that's when we've been. You know, you got you got Norburn. Laurent and Goss, you know, three decent players um, who can pass the ball. And when we've actually passed the ball, we're much more effective. And hopefully, maybe we can kind of bear a bit more of a possession based game. It's going to be interesting, obviously, playing Tuesday night against Gillingham, maybe on our own pitch, a bit, bit, bit of a better surface. Um, but maybe we can kind of take advantage of those two players. But yeah, playing long ball football. Um, to those two is, is for me is not a very sensible tactic and I'm not sure if it really was a tactic or whether it was mm. just the way that, that Lincoln were pressing and pushing us we resorted to going, going long to try and clear the lines I mean, it didn't work with Morrison playing up front either. Whether that was to do with the way we were setting up, setting up for it, or the fact that, as we've noticed, as we commented, Morrison may well have uh, found his legs had gone and wasn't quite up to it. So it's it's one to find out. But you know, it, it doesn't make much sense with the strikers we've got at the club now, and that's not going to change till January. So one to keep an eye on, I suppose. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I suppose that, that was really it in terms of, as say Phil said, in terms of our only real chance of the half was that one from Cummings. Lincoln had another couple of sort of half chances during that half that we haven't really covered. But um, in general, it was sort of half an hour of Lincoln passing the ball around us. And, and, and us sitting in tight and then 15 minutes in the game sort of from the end of the half the game did change didn't it and we, we got into it more but there wasn't really anything else that stood out from that half for me I don't know about you two No it's, I think it's be amiss of us not to mention that yeah Lincoln had a decent cross from the right and a header that went wide yeah. and they had a good link up play in the midfield and had a shot again from range uh, but I think it's just kind of testament to how well we, we how well we performed defensively that we limited them to half chances and then you didn't go down at half time and have any more food after having had your cheesy chips I guess Phil but uh I don't know what was there anything entertaining going on at half time I did hear that there was a moment where someone on the PA system said that Shrewsbury Town had come for a draw 
Um, Did you not? I, I wasn't paying that much attention to the tannoy. I must admit, because <laughs> I was catching up with some of the London trees. But um, I think our comments at half time were this was a match to match the weather. You know, mm. pretty terrible weather, pretty terrible game of football. Uh, nil nil written all over it at that point. Did you know oh, the yeah. weather was bad, um, Glenn, watching it? Because I, I can't remember, I can't remember BBC Shropshire mentioning that when they did the commentary. It didn't come across on the commentary. It didn't come across on the telly either, did it? I suppose on, on the mm. iFollow. It looked like it a normal sort of... some explanation for why yeah. the game was quite poor, which is, yeah, yeah interesting. But you miss, miss, miss someone not being there, which is why when we don't tend to go to games, we tend to get someone on, don't we? Because there are those things, as you say, that we miss, and it's it's good to have observations like that on from Phil. One of the things that made me laugh on iFollow, Ollie, you might, you might have seen this as well, was when the ball came on the near side of the pitch, the <laughs> camera would pan down to have a look and there was a massive metal bar with like scaffolding, scaffolding and, and netting. Yeah. You, you couldn't see a bit of the pitch whenever it came near side. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't ideal. And you would have thought that iFollows were going for two years. It must have been going for two years at Lincoln as well. You would have thought they might have sorted out their TV gantry so that it gives you an uninterrupted picture. But something for Lincoln to work on, I'm sure, Ollie. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, um, did you expect at halftime, um, Phil, did you expect that... Um, that you know maybe Rickett would have given them some instruction or maybe a bit of rollicking or did you did you know did you expect a bit better in the second half or was it just more of a hope? There were there was some confidence building at the end of that first half. You know at least we had that ten fifteen minute period. It was interesting as well that the Shrewsbury players were out earlier than Lincoln for the start of the second half. So I don't know if that was the proverbial rocket up the backside or whether they just got out to warm up a bit quicker in the the rain and the wind. I don't know, but there was certainly more of an impetus from Shrewsbury in the second half, without a doubt. Um, One thing I noticed as as that half kicked off is there was a a couple of moments where the defenders started stepping out, which was good to see. You know, you you had that little bit of a a more impetus then. I think Beckles did it once, and then later on in the second half, I think Rashawn Williams did it as well. That's the sort of thing I like to see us doing in terms of trying to change that dynamic when it's been so stodgy first half. We've talked about it for Ollie, where those centre-backs can give us an extra man in midfield and get the the Norburn and the Lawrence further up the pitch then and, and I think we, we started to see that a bit more in the second half and it certainly helps doesn't it? It does help but what do you think Phil? I think that you had a lot of beer by the sounds of it at the pub on uh, Friday Ollie but uh, <laughs> yeah. I agree with Glyn actually playing three at the back and we've got three very athletic centre-halves uh, it gives them a chance to step out and push and they're good footballers for centre-halves yeah. you know you think of Roshan being at Man United you think of Beckles being in the League One team of the year a couple of years back he can play you know when he pushes so certainly that opened the space up and it put Lincoln a bit on the back foot and that certainly helped So were they overlapping then or was it just the came through, we were pushing up a bit more Yeah they were coming They were. I think Beckles got it and he went out through the midfield and ran on beyond sort of Goss at least and, and then passed it on sort of I don't know 35, 35, 36 yards outside of the Lincoln box and then Rashawn did it in the second half as well and I think it happened one more time and maybe it happened three times in the game but it just gives you that impetus to get the team forward and I think it's more of a psychological thing, really. If you see your centre-back running past your midfielder, you will naturally think, right, I need to get up here a little bit. So, I, I don't know. It was just a small observation from the game about a couple of things. But I do I do like to see them doing that, especially when, you know, particularly as the game went on and we had, you know, against 10 men, we'll come to that as we go. We obviously needed that extra defender to kind of make a more of an attacking role. So, yeah, just a small observation, but something I think we, we need to see more of. But there we go. Go on. Yeah. So, what about you? Start of that second half, Ollie? Yeah, so we had a good a good free kick from Goss, um, which forced a good save from the keeper. And then I thought Towns kind of didn't, better in the second half you know we put some pressure on them started to get the wing backs involved in the game a bit more um so love does a cross that goes over to giles not the best best cross in the world um who's who's cross comes back in and forces the keeper to flick it over 
Um, so that was a decent little bit of play. Um, and then there was one of the yeah two funny moments of the game where Lincoln counterattacked. Um, O'Leary did a palm save, not a particularly good save to be honest, um, into the path of a Lincoln player who was clearly offside. So good, offici- good officiating there. Did you guys? Um, did you guys feel like it was offside at the time? I felt it was an offside, so I wasn't too surprised when the goal was disallowed. Yeah, we noticed in the stadium that the flag went up very quickly, almost before the guy actually got to the ball, and it seemed like an age for the Lincoln fans to stop celebrating. That was the yeah, comical it was, quite funny. it was kind of a good 15, 20 seconds when everyone had realised, but there was still a lot of cheering going on. So it seemed like a right decision. Can't complain with that. Yeah, look, it looked well, well off on the iFollow, I thought. And um, yeah, credit again to Max for that save. I thought it was a decent save that as well. So um, yeah, we, we didn't get lucky there. It was, it was offside as far as I'm concerned. Interestingly, yeah. that was their Lincoln's only shot on target was the one that Max saved there. It took him to the 78th yeah. minute. Uh, so it shows how strong we are defensively, I think, that uh, we restricted them yeah. to, to efforts from distance. I think our defence was definitely had a definite a dominant had a dominant impact on this performance. Um and it's definitely a positive that we that we have. While defensively we're definitely building as a team, um, I'd say it's definitely one of the biggest positives you can take out of this game is that our defensive um strength um as a team and how hard we work together. I don't think we can't definitely can't criticise the team or Ricketts <sighs> in, in this aspect. No, Pierre was immense, I thought, during the game. You know, it's hard to, to single out any one of those three centre backs because <clears throat> Rashawn tends to get on with his work and is, is quite doesn't tend to stand out, but he's he's a, such an excellent player that it, you know doesn't need to, I suppose. Pierre's obviously a monster when it comes to the aerial ability, but he can play as well. And Beckles, again, I thought he was back to his best, the sort of form that we saw under um, Hurst and playing in a similar position at his points, I suppose, and he obviously played left back under Hurst. But you know that left side of, of the defence really, and I thought all three of them were absolutely brilliant. Um, and then and then they said the wing backs probably weren't as impressive for me in this game. Um, I thought that obviously of the two of them, Giles got forward more. I think he put in numerous crosses as the game went on, particularly against ten men. Whereas I think Love definitely had a more defensive role in the game um, and probably played more passes backwards than he did forwards in the game. But that's not a knock to him; he, he did his defensive role well. So we we are blessed with five good ones at the back really, and, and and we will keep keeping clean sheets if this keeps going on. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So. Probably the biggest uh, moment of the game. Um, Phil, did you have much of a view of... Um, obviously, on iFollow, it was, it was very hard to watch. And when they even did the replay, it was a little bit blurred. So it was hard to watch um, and see, um, to be clear. But did you have a very good view of, of the sending off? It was on the halfway line or just inside the Lincoln Hall yeah. as we were attacking the Shrewsbury fans. And as soon as you saw it, you just thought, idiot footballer challenge (laughs) you know you just thought he's opened himself up there to a referee who's relatively new to league one to make that decision um had he just shoulder barged wally out the way you'd probably go good professional foul yellow card you know block the block the attack that's on coming but as soon as he got his arm up in wally's face you knew that sean wasn't not going to make a meal of it let's put it that way <laughs> it's funny actually you say that i forgot that i forgot to remember now that the um the link the um the referee was actually from lincolnshire yeah so there was a little bit of a concern from shrewsie town fans going into this but yeah I, I, obviously i've got no real idea um but um yeah it's and also with sean wally's record he, you know he does sometimes yeah. make a meal, a meal of things <laughs> but yeah it was a red um but yeah phil did you say so you you thought at the time it was red or was it hard to actually make a clear definitive decision it, just from what we saw and you know you definitely saw the arm go up and letter okay. of the law tells you as soon as that goes yeah. up in a challenge like that it's likely to be a red if not if it's a red the home fans are annoyed if it's a yellow the away fans are annoyed 
Uh, it was read in this instance. Those home fans were livid, they mate. Were, I tell you, you could see aggressive. you could see them on the eye follow. They went right down the front. One of them was trying to get at Wally, and I think that's <laughs> that's the thing is just what Ollie just said. Then really was that it was like if it had been any of our other players, you would have said, oh, it's almost certainly definitely a red card. But because it's Wally, it gives you that bit of doubt because he's a bit of a diver at times, and we've seen his histrionics at times, and and that's the only thing that makes you worth it. You know, question it. Having said that, you know, he'd only just come on, hadn't he? and and he'd had a good impact in the game in terms of getting someone sent off. So it did help us in terms of giving us a better opportunity to win the game, but. You couldn't tell on the eye follow, Ollie, could you? I can't even tell on a slow down replay of the no, game now whether no it was idea. contact in terms no of his idea. face. But the ref, the ref fell for it, or, or he gave it correctly, and, and, and we have to move on, I suppose. Here's a question for you, you guys: Where do you put Sean Morley in our team? Do you start him in the starting eleven? Is there a place for him in a three-five-two? No, not for me. Bench. Yeah, he's a he's an impact player. Um, he's a, he's good not impact our best player, striker. Yeah, but he's a good impact player and an impact. Yeah, and I think also he gives you different options. So you could play maybe like a three three at the front him on the right side and maybe push Akinabiri to the left or something like that. I think that'd be interesting. I'd like to see that tactic played. So, yeah, if we're playing two strikers, I think, um, as Glenn said, he's on the bench. But, you know, I'd be quite happy for us to see, you know, a Chelsea-style 3-4-3 formation. I agree with you there, Ollie, actually. I, you know, Makes I'm saying change. that because, yeah, <laughs> well, after the last few weeks, my mum's still not happy we've fallen out in two weeks in a row, Ollie. I'll have to, have to have a chat later. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the, thing, the reason I say that is I don't see Ricketts changing from this tactic. You know, I think that's what we're going to see for the rest of the season come hell or high water. He does water, make and subtle things... changes to it, though. It's not 3-5-2 every single week. There is, you know, three in defensive or two defenders. or He does make little subtle changes, so I, I, have to, I think that's yeah. fair to say he doesn't change anything. No, no, but I mean about having two strikers and yeah. no wingers, He's play 4-4-2 you know I, mean? no, I think exactly. that's what you're saying what about you Phil I mean are you, are you, I think are you more of a Wally fan I suppose and, and would you try and shoe on him in or are you in agreement I suppose I think 3-5-2 doesn't suit him as a player I think no. the problem is if you play him as a 2 he's a player who goes looking for the ball and that can sometimes leave the other striker isolated that's the difficulty mm. whereas like you said in a 4-3 you know in a 3-man strike force or even a 4-4-2 with him playing as a winger he's very effective uh, otherwise, there's an impact sub. Absolutely a good position to be. Mm, it's a shame, isn't it? Because he is a well-liked player. But yeah, he just seems... I suppose it happens with footballers where you suddenly end up with a manager playing a certain tactic and suddenly you've gone from sort of flavour of the week to someone that can't, you know, get get a game and a start in, in line-up. So it's a shame for him. But I'm sure he'll keep battling and, and I'm sure he'll put 100% in every time he gets on the pitch, won't he, Ollie? Because that's all he ever does. Yeah, he'll definitely have an impact. And yeah, there'll be games, I'm sure, where he'll start and... Yeah, I think I think well, he's going to have an impact as we go out through the season. And talking yeah. of impact, um, it's, I think it's fair to say that and the the red card changed the flow of the game, um, and Town were definitely on top to that. Um, top and whether we're on top enough, we'll come to that question at the end. Mm. Um, but it's worth just kind of just going through some of the highlights of the game for those who didn't couldn't attend. Um, so there's a good long range effort from Norburn. He's he's bound to get a few more goals. He's been a bit unlucky, and there was a Giles cross <laughs> which is a headed. Clearance and came to love, and he had a shot in the box. He could have done better. He was pacey on line. With <laughs> that was terrible. Spot. Yeah, he didn't look he very confident. Have... It was about as confident no. as I looked when I used to get into the penalty area when I used to play right back. Um, was he that bad? Well, Jeez. yeah, probably scored, I scored a couple of goals to the away supporters and a couple of goals playing Sunday League, but yeah, goal go. scoring was never my forte. Um, <laughs> it's not loves either, I don't think. We'll no, that, it's not we'll love's forte we'll either. Um, there was a few um, efforts where um, basically um, a bit of some of these crosses were, I don't, maybe it was the wind and that basically forced the crosses to go a bit wide. Um, and a bit over yeah. over long to each other, um, which meant the fullbacks were like they were passing to each other, had a few chances as well. And then there was another opportunity where um, Linker on side again and put the ball in the back of the net, but yeah, it didn't count. And um, O'Leary didn't really make a save. But um, I nope. imagine Phil, the um, the locals were going a little bit annoyed at this point. It took them another two minutes to realise. 
realised the gold and popped <laughs> off. Max O'Leary didn't even bother diving for it. The whistle was that early. So, so one of the things, Ollie, that we were going to talk about, uh, we put on the event, because we just run through sort of what the moments at half were. Again, there weren't a vast amount of moments. And, and obviously that last, what was it, 15, 20 minutes, I suppose it was, where we were completely on top and pushing and, and had all the ball. A lot of fans I was noticed on social media and also during the game and seeing how the different game would develop and were, were saying, are we really going for this? Do you know what I mean? This is a great opportunity against a 10-man team um, to push on and, and score some goals. And Mark Elliott was pretty damning on the commentary. Phil probably won't know this, but he was he was basically saying, I can't believe we haven't taken the centre-back off and, and thrown a more attacking player on. Whereas when we did make that last sub, I think it was, was it Goss for someone? I can't remember now. But yeah. I don't know what, what your guys' thoughts were. Do you think that we could have gone for it a bit more or do you think there was a, a little bit of a, of a negativity there in what I've seen some people talking about? I think the players lacked belief that they could go on and win it. Even mm-hmm. though they'd look confident, yeah. you know, in terms of controlling the game in the second half, they just needed that will to push on. And you'd mentioned the fullbacks had come into the game, the wingbacks. They were putting malls in, but the problem is with those two smaller strikers, you're not going to win headers in the box. You really nope. needed those points we've made about the centre-halves driving or even the centre-mids pushing forward, having a go. They had space in front of them because of the extra man and they didn't use it, unfortunately. What about you, yeah, Ollie? Yeah, I think it's it's frustrating because people keep... Often fans have mentioned in the last few weeks quite a few times about structural play um, and about formations. And we were very much playing with, you know, the, the wing-backs were really pushed up really high. You've got two strikers on the pitch as well. You know, a lot of teams play with one these days. Um, so I don't think it's about bodies. I think Phil's um, damn right about um, about a bit of confidence and a bit of guile. And I think we're still are missing that number 10. You know, someone who's going to gonna kind of go in that, that space okay, we can put crosses in and we can all that do that kind of stuff. You know, and some of the best teams in the land, you know, are really effective putting crosses in. But we need to be able to create chances from central areas as well. And I thought it was interesting. I went back, so I posted um, just before the podcast, our XG. And consider an XG of one is really poor. Um, we're actually against Tranmere. We had an XG um, of over three. So while um, Sam Ricketts, you know, was quite positive after the game, I don't think I think uh, Mark Elliott was right in the fence that you know we should have created more chances and we didn't create enough chances for me um, to kind of no. win the game. No we, Yeah, and we didn't have any super clear cut chances either. Whether you know it was like you know last gap saves or you know you think of the Tranmere game, you know we hit the post and the keeper saves and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't happen in this game and. I think Phil's bang on when it comes down to a bit of confidence and um, and maybe also, again, we keep talking about this, but yeah, team just getting used to each other um, and our offensive play definitely needs some work. Yeah, I mean, the last sub I've just looked it up was 86 minutes and it was, it was Thompson for Goss. And, and I'm not, I'm not, we're not quite sure what kind of a player Thompson is yet, but I completely agree with your point, Ollie, and I've mentioned it several times, is that we're missing, not Nolan because he was an exceptional player, but we're missing a Nolan type, maybe a Payne that was playing for Lincoln who sometimes can sit in that number 10 role. We don't really have that number 10. You can't play Wally there in that position for me. Um, we need someone, because there's a lot of times where Goss, Norburn and Laurent would sort of be around the edge of the area, all in a sort of three, and they'd pass it between themselves and then look for the wing backs. It was not one of those three players you think is going to be able to just clip a little ball around the back and, and Cummins can run onto or, or Wally as it was at the time. I don't think all any three of them really possess it. And it came to, to head to me when Norburn got, you know, 25 yards out where there were a couple of runners to knock it into that maybe a, a, a more sort of clever player might have done it. And all he did was sort of bang it. You know, he's got a long shot on him, but he just banged two long shots in and put them both wide. And yeah, fair enough, if they go in, it's a different matter. But I don't I don't think Norburn's the player that really can unlock defences. Laurent makes too many bad choices when he's on the edge of the box and it's not really Goss's game either. And when we're playing those three, we really miss that midfield creativity up for me. I don't know what you think about that, Phil. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I- I was impressed with Goss in terms of his passing ability. 
Um, and mm-hmm. he obviously had the only real chance we had that forced keeper into save from a free kick, good free kick. Yeah, it was a good kick. Um, yeah. But you're right, we didn't have that kind of Nolan-esque player in there to create those chances. Um, really need someone to unlock because Lincoln themselves are quite a solid defensive team, big lads, you know, look to get behind the ball. And that's where you need a, a clever pass or a little trick to do something. And using those wing mm. backs to put balls in behind defenders didn't really work in this instance. And and when you look at what we've got on the bench, Charlie, in terms of midfielders, you know, do you think Edwards, Walker, or Thompson are players that can come on and do that either? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure out of the numerous midfielders we've got at the football club, there are any of them that can play that role. Um, I think Edwards. Edwards. I think Edwards coming on earlier, maybe for Laurent, would have been a sensible sub. Um, I, yeah, think, I think Norburn can do some quite good balls into the final third, but mm. a lot of our players. Um, are really good on the counter attack. Um, Lawrence really good on the counter attack. Norburn did some really nice um, through balls um, at the end of last season and was a threat from that kind of area, um, putting Doherty in. And but yeah, I think yeah, mentioned there were there Doherty. He's the kind of player we need. Someone who's skillful, good dribbler, can yeah. make something happen. Do that little one-two um, on the edge of the penalty area. Um, and you know, Okunabiri and Cummings, you know, they're the kind of players that need would work really well with that kind of that figure and. I don't know whether it was maybe in the in the transfer window they just couldn't get that kind of play, but the team definitely needs to work on their one twos and creating space in themselves. Yeah, and and it'll come as you say when they get used to each other, hopefully. But it's just I've got really high expectations for Norburn, and and sometimes even when he has good games, I still feel like there could be more in there. Do you know what I mean? Because he's so highly rated. You know, Dave Edwards has talked about how highly rated he is, and you hear that he's got a very good reputation within football. And, and sometimes I think I look down on him a little bit worse than he is because he's had a good game. But I still, I just one of those ones where. I still think he can be even better so maybe I'm being a little bit too negative there Ollie but yeah it didn't happen did it despite the amount of sort of ball we had we just couldn't get it in the back of the net which is a common theme this season and then yeah fourth nil nil of the season was becoming a bit of a regular score yeah it is yeah low scoring games is definitely something a a trend of this season so far (laughs) Um, I think one thing worth just pointing a trend is obviously it was our our sixth clean sheet which is a which is a decent record um, but yeah, obviously to win games, you start need to scoring some goals. And I think doing that away from home, nil nils, it's fine. It's not a problem. Um, I think the yeah, problem exactly. is doing it at home. And so the Gillingham game is somewhere we've really got to turn the heat up a little bit. Um, Ricketts, I think he's doing an all right job, but there's a risk that if he annoys the home fans too much with another nil, yeah, you know that's when the pressure really turns on him. I think there's, a, there's a, definitely a, an underlying current I feel for a little bit of entertainment in some of the home games. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast last few weeks, Phil, and you might have heard it, but again, my brother was saying he's only seen one goal at home because he missed the South End game. He's only seen one goal this season, and we're what are we? Twentieth of October. It'll be like you know 22nd of October by the time we, we get Gillingham and he might actually finally see a goal and I'm sure there's quite a lot of town fans like that at the moment so um yeah I, I think that this is a fine point I, I will sum it up now but I'm, I'm happy with the point you know there was potentially more there um but in terms of how good a point it is it's one of those ones where people say it'll depend on what we do against Gillingham on, on Tuesday night really yeah Tuesday nights is a big one getting a point away from home is is a, is a decent effort um yep. yeah in terms of actual um, possession at the end it was 51% to Lincoln still at the end of the game <laughs> really yeah, oh, they had God. 455 passes and shoes. We had 424. So, um, yeah, <laughs> even with, even with 10 men um, for a decent chunk of the game, um, yeah, we we couldn't compete with them on that in that front. So, yep, un- unfortunate. It was yeah, we didn't get the win, but um, a point against a mid-table team, not the end of the world. But what? So, um, Phil, what did you think of um, Lincoln? Um, interesting. I think I saw very different to what I was expecting from their early season promise. And I think it really shows the impact of the managers leaving. You know, Cali Brothers had such a good record there, brought them up with successive promotions. And of course, unfortunately, they beat a well-known team in the uh, 
the League Cup trophy final, whatever we call it these days, when we got a... We, don't remember don't that. remember that. Good. Stricken from the history books. It's not in my stats, <laughs> I can tell you now. Um, but they, they looked like a team thought they could be doing better. Um, and it was interesting, actually. A friend of a friend knew a, knew a Lincoln player and got us into the kind of players bar after the game. And so we heard comments from the assistant boss and then that player who will remain nameless came out and said they were disappointed that their new manager, Appleton, kind of said, not a bad result, guys. And all the players were actually dying beat because they're used to winning at the moment. You know, they're on such mm. a streak. They, they're used to winning. They're like, oh, really? They they didn't take it that way. They thought they performed badly. The assistant manager said that we're disappointed. We thought the offside goal might not have been offside. We'll have a look at it. Um, but they said, give it a couple of days to think about it. And actually, down to 10 men, maybe a point is a decent result. And that's how they looked at it from there. Mm. To me, Ollie, they looked a little bit like a League Two team still adjusting to life in League One, but probably with enough about them to, to not be in relegation trouble. But um, I think you summed it up best, Ollie, on Twitter after the game, and you just put classic League One game. That's exactly what it was. And they, they came yeah. in. We both, team, both teams looked like mid table League One teams to me. Yeah, mid table League One teams. And um, yeah, I always find it quite funny when pundits. Um, especially from like the national press, go yeah, a team that does really well in League League Two, they're going to storm League One, and often that isn't the case. And for me, this is another good example of where you know a team comes out. Okay, they've lost their manager and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not having that as an excuse. And um, they were doing, they weren't doing that great near the end of their reign either. Um, and yeah, it's it's a grind in League One, but um, I think yep. as we've seen, you know, the teams near the top of the league have got that little bit of extra. So Fleetwood and, and, and Ipswich that we've played, you know, have got something above. I'd say Shrewsbury and Lincoln at the moment, um, and that's the difference, and that's going to get you those, get you over the line. Mm, interesting. Oh well, well, there we go. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep an eye on them as they go on this season because of that 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 game that I can't remember. But um, <laughs> there we go. Um, we'll just before we move on to some fan questions we had about where we're at at the moment, I just thought it'd be worth running through your top three. So I don't know. We'll start with you, Phil. What was about your top three from the game? I think that the man of the match is going to come from the defence, just given those stats that Ollie's given us on our sixth clean sheet of the season. So Pierre, for me, was the man there. Um, I think also honourable mention to Beckles uh, and I think from the midfield my pick would be Goss from the midfield three so uh, in reverse order Beckles third Goss and then Pierre man of the match I, I'll go with mine Ollie I mean I agree with Phil for man of the match Pierre was was immense and um, was was by far the best of defenders but I uh, so not by far actually he was the best defenders but, but by a small margin because they were all really good but um, I gone for all three of the centre-backs to be honest with you I just thought that they were, were so composed all three of them so <clears throat> I went for Pierre first I've gone for Beckles second and, and Rochon third yeah and that's for me exactly the same top three as oh, okay. there we so, go yeah. we are we're in alignment good stuff good stuff so um so yeah so a couple of um questions we've got some questions um um from um shooter town fans um so one from mark is like why are we so dull so maybe we'll throw that over to you Phil. <laughs> why do you think we're so dull to watch i think Ricketts it's a tough is, question it is a tough question i think ricketts is very nervous um he's still a relatively new manager right at this level new manager overall he's, he's relatively young for this job and he is certainly building from the back and I think he's using the old adage of if you don't concede you won't lose and so for him you come away with a clean sheet that's most of the job done at this point he knows that we don't don't concede we won't lose we'll be in league one and I think he's building you know for the future I think John Pitts when he was on your show recently he said we're building something here it's not a short-term fix we're not going to go bust want to take our time and build something and I think that's what Ricketts is doing he's starting with the defense which unfortunately makes for quite dull boring games and once he's got comfortable with that he'll start to move on and try and see us flourish a bit more attackingly 
I think that's fair. I think it's similar to what we've been saying on the podcast the last few weeks. I mean, to answer Mark, I'd say go back and listen to the last four or five podcasts we've done because we've kind of talked about this, haven't we? But uh, So it's probably not worth me going on again, Ollie. But um, interestingly, one of the comments we'll come to with Ricketts is he said, Lincoln's not the place to go and open up. And to me, that says a lot about his mentality, as Phil just talked about there, because if Lincoln's not a place to go and open up and we didn't open up Accrington, I doubt there are any, many places in League One that Ricketts is going to be comfortable to go and open up and attack a team. So I just don't see him attacking, you know, in terms of... Uh, a full bore attacking team it'll always be that counter attack play safely and and try and keep a clean sheet away from home I think and we'll just have to get used to seeing it but it, it needs to be better at home it needs to be more entertaining but and I've had my say on it the last few weeks Ollie what about you? Yeah I think I think I agree with both what you're, what you're saying apart from Glenn I'd say what, you've, what you're saying is true on the data the gains we've seen Obviously, things could change to go forward. You know, there's a question mm, yeah. from from Don Kirby saying, you know, will, will Ricketts release the handbrake? And I think if you go back to Phil's comments about, you know, if we've got more uh, uh, more confidence in our ability to defend on the counter-attack, you know, we've been caught on the counter-attack a few times. Just think of Ipswich away was all about being caught on the counter-attack. So I think Ricketts is sensible to be sensible in how we set the team up, but I totally agree with you. It's an entertainment game. Um, and, we, yep. and the home fans particularly want to see some goals, which I think is quite a really nice segue um, into we had um, a, a tweet from from the Red Almo, and he said, and he said, should we be happy where we are, especially when you look at Rotherham and Portsmouth, um, and obviously Portsmouth are having a terrible um, start to the season. So we, we've said this on the podcast, and me and Glenn have spoken about this quite a bit. That, you know, we expect to finish mid table, and we we are mid table. Um, what's your kind of view on where we are, Phil? Yeah, I mean, if you told me we'll finish at the end of the season, we'll be twelfth or thirteenth, I'd bite your hand off straight away, and I would have taken that at the start of the season. I think where the disappointment will come from fans is the fact that we haven't really turned it on in any of the home games. Um, and if you think of our goals scored record so far, we've scored three against Accrington, four against South End. And apart from that, a couple of odds and sods here and there, it's not particularly entertaining. So I'm certainly happy with the league position. I'm content. I can see that Ricketts is building and I'm quite patient. Um, as my brother always reminds me, he says, happiness is the difference between reality and expectations. And my expectations are pretty tepid I would say in terms of where we'll finish at the end of the season so I'd say we're doing all right at the moment yeah at the moment you can't argue with that we're we're five points off the relegation zone and four off the playoffs so that's about as mid-table as you can get um but you're never more than a couple of bad results away from it they're suddenly being a bit more panicky and we're not at the moment a couple of wins away from being something quite exciting so it's still too early to tell where the season's going and if you're mid-table now at this point in the middle of October you can only really be reasonably pleased compared to where we were this time last year um but in terms of in terms of wanting to watch something that's a bit more fun and exciting I think that there is a legitimate reason for Town fans to be a bit come on we want to see a bit more um, because people want to see goals and they want to be entertained but deep down after the game's gone and, and your sort of annoyance of watching it kind of drifts away as long as we keep sort of in this point here and, and on the coattails of the playoffs I don't think anyone's going to com- be complaining and I think Ricketts has done well enough to sort of see his job through to at least after Christmas now so um, hopefully it turns you know he gets a few more wins instead of draws and you start to think this is going to be exciting so I don't think anyone's overly overly worried at the moment you don't see Ricketts out like you know we were seeing Askey out this time last year No I totally agree with that Glenn and I think that's the thing isn't it you, know, you can look at the game the stats and analyze the game but it's all about the emotion you know coming coming away from Tranmere you know driving you know a couple of hours in the car home or on the train or however may you make your way to the games that has a you know your feelings and your emotions and what you've seen has a big has a big impact on your kind of opinion on where the team is but um yeah we definitely mm-hmm. made progress from where we were last season certainly and so we normally cover off Ricketts's comments just at the end of the game Ollie so yeah do you want to run through yeah, those yeah so he was he was really pleased the way we were performed you know from the way performance we were excellent we looked like a team and the togetherness and at times we moved the ball better but we you know we need to improve as the game as we did improve as the game went on 
one. And we couldn't break them down when they went down to 10 men. And they got a little bit lucky with the rebounds. He said he's not worried by the goals. Um, you know, one of those shots could have gone in. I'm not sure I totally agree with that. But um, <laughs> but know. as he said, you know, it's um, loves. yeah clean sheet here. Um, you know, it's cl- six clean sheets so far this season. And as Phil mentioned earlier on in the pod, you know, Lincoln have an average of two points at home. Um, so, it's a, you know, it's a place where teams don't normally get much from games. Um, and he said he's really looking, really looking forward to a game at home under the lights. And as you said, Glenn, it's going to be... Um, I wouldn't say loads of pressure, but I think just an no. air of excitement that we might see something at home on Tuesday. It's a bit more like just an air of expectation, really, from nothing, I suppose, just because you know people are starting to think we, we will put one of those performances in at some point. But we'll see, we'll see. Well, talking of the defence there, he talks about the clean sheets. I, I called it on Twitter afterwards. I'm pretty sure one of the centre-backs is going to win Player of the Season, and it's already October. I, I'd be surprised if I'm at predictions wrong, Ollie. So we'll make a note of that and revisit it at the end of the season. But um, there we go, nil-nil. We managed to, managed to drain a lot more out of that, really, than I thought we would. But it... I suppose it is one of those games that's a very sort of um, signpost on the on the way of where we are at the moment. So, yeah, good to, good to have a chat about that. We'll move on to some Salop news and predictions. Rogers, good cross into the box. Low! And Low tucks it past Brock from the equaliser. So, Salop news. The uh, yeah, interesting news this week, I suppose, in that um, someone left who we almost certainly weren't expecting to leave. So, Steve Morrison comes into the club in the summer on loan initially. Quite an exciting signing to a lot of town fans. Obviously then plays the first game, not overly impressive, and we give him a permanent contract. And then he plays a few more games and, and is even less impressive, I suppose, in some respects. And um, suddenly, in the middle of October, he decides to pack the game up and go and move into a coaching role at Northampton, which is apparently where he's from, or was his first club? Where he lives. Yeah, OK, there we go. So, yeah, he's gone, which is interesting, and leaves us maybe a striker short. So, I don't know, what, what's your overall thoughts on that first, Ollie? Um, it's It's... Came as a bit of a surprise, I think, yeah. for everyone. Um, in terms of what does it mean for our season, I don't really think it will mean too much. He was an no. option. Um, he was an option in terms of a target man, but he wasn't really that effective. Even against um, Ipswich's young central defender, he really struggled. Um, so I think from a okay from an option, we miss a target man now. But in terms of impact, um, I, you know, I don't think we're missing too much. And I guess, you know, thinking of it in terms of, you know, being a bit boring, think of financials. It's obviously going to help because I'm sure he wasn't on the lowest wage. Um, so, yeah, I really just hope that for me, I hope that the contract was mutually terminated and we didn't pay him off. I hope so. Yeah, I don't, it's hard to know, though. We don't know the rules about whether someone retires um, and and then moves on to still working in football, whether you you do have to terminate the contract. I suppose if it was done, Northampton will have contributed, but we'll never know, will we? So you can only assume no. that the club did the best thing. But I don't know, what have, what have you made of Morrison over his period, Phil? Um, it's an interesting one. Like, just seeing the reaction from other players on Twitter, social media, there's yeah. a bit of a loving yeah. for him. And I, I just I was trying to work mm. out, is it kind of like a Linnell John Lewis loving, which is... You know, LJL, love him or hate him, all the managers, he's played under four managers at Shrewsbury and they've all praised him in the in the dressing room and they love him. But obviously he's never really done it on the pitch and it seems like Morrison was quite a good comparison there, which was there was a lot of hope for him coming in, you know, good experience yeah, in the championship yeah. from there, etc. Didn't really do it on the pitch, but yet the players are all admiring him as a, some sort of hero. Do you know what I mean? Kind of, oh, he's going to retire. What a length of service he's put in. Give him a gold watch mm. kind of thing. Um, I didn't really feel that. Did you see the interviews he did with the Tifo podcast? And then the, the, the I didn't really listen to much of the talks. What one? Did you listen to those? Though? I didn't actually know. I, I was aware he was doing no. that and there was a bit of chat around it. But There was one interest, I guess maybe one interesting thing to that is that he mentions on the podcast um, with Tifo guys that he was almost a bit like a, 
I don't know, not so father figure. My father figure might be a bit of a strong word, but I think he acted as a bit. He acted as a bit of a, um, as a you know, he mentored some of the players in terms of advice and stuff. So I think maybe we've got quite a lot of young players. Maybe he kind of played that role. Um, that's maybe why you know yeah. he's quite well liked. Perhaps maybe it's just you know people just saying being being polite. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a it's I, an interesting one. What influence he had on the squad? I thought a lot a lot of that that sort of loving that Phil talks about was a, a respect for what he'd done in his career. You know, let's be honest, he was nothing short of pretty rubbish for us but he'd had a very good career had done amazing things for for Millwall and other clubs and I think that you give those players that respect and and I found it interesting Shrewsbury Town's reaction to it because it's a guy that played nine games for us some of them only as a sub and had done a grand you know result of pretty much nothing and he got like the gold watch send-off which Danny Coyne never got for like three weeks and Sadler never got hardly anything send off as well it's a bit weird how we treated him compared to how we treated some of the players and, and staff you'd consider to be you know legends a bit, bit odd that I thought I think it shows modern day football in terms of new yeah. managers come in and they have their guides right and Sam Ricketts love him or loathe him he obviously has his guys that he's brought in and Coyne and Sadler weren't his guys right so they didn't get the send-off whereas yeah Morrow to use his nickname uh he's, he's, know, his, mate, he's his mate he's been doing his coaching badges with him for a few years he knows him well so hey high five pat on the back good luck mm. yeah that's interesting you mentioned the Morrow thing I find that a bit <laughs> odd like like I don't know if it's like the media lads trying to suck up to the player or they're just trying to be banter lads or or what but I just find it a bit unprofessional when the club are saying you know, by wife, like, no, we don't know him as Morrow. It's just, I don't know, it just seems a bit trivial. Tweet of the week, Lynn, was you replying to Dave Edwards to correct his spelling of Morrow? <laughs> two R's, two R's. <laughs> Uh, and also I'm looking forward to the media team when uh, Cummings leaves uh, calling him cum dog all throughout the article when he leaves that'll be that'll be brilliant won't it so yeah go go for the, if they're going to go for nicknames Ollie, they should do it for everybody it'd be hilarious but um, yeah you've got to be consistent guys <laughs> hey I'll give them me hey I'm going to give the media, media team some credit Um, they did another one of their Q&A's this week with um Josh Laurent I don't know if you guys have seen yeah, it yet I haven't listened they're- to this one yet they're absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Fair play to... I, I guess it's the younger lads in the media team that do it because it's quite a, a sort of <laughs> modern modern thing. Um, no offence, Wits. But um, yeah, I think they're really good. And again, Josh Lawrence, if you haven't seen it yet, it's it's hilarious. He's really funny. gives you some good answers. I asked him whether he'd been up Hormond Hill and he didn't even know where Hormond Hill was, which is a bit of a worry, you know. Because it's day- only 500 metres from where he <laughs> goes every day. Exactly. And, and the days of all Shrewsbury Town players being told to run up Hormond Hill have clearly gone, haven't they? So um, yeah, there we go. It's uh, it's interesting. But yeah, I think they're doing another one this week on Sean Goss. So uh, yeah, sends questions into the the football club on Twitter and Facebook and uh, you'll get an answer I think they're, they're really good in terms of giving you an insight into the players and um, Josh Laurent seemed like a right cheeky, cheeky chappy he seemed really positive so it's good to see a bit of a bit of him really but back to Morrison yeah. who was the opposite I thought he was a miserable bastard the whole time he was here so I'm, I'm not overly bothered he's gone Molly <laughs> It's gone, but yeah, I think it's just to kind of share my view on that. I think the media team are doing a good job, and some of the videos they did for transfer windows and stuff were excellent. Yeah, great. But, um, yeah, come on, guys, let's let's cut out the nicknames. It's a bit, um, it's a bit. Um, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but it's yeah, it's ten pot. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. I can't I can't think of the term for it. There's a, there's a term that could be explain my view on it better. It's a bit a bit naff. But um, anyway, um, yeah, he's gone. Wage bill have gone down a little bit. Maybe that gives some um, rickets a little bit of extra pennies to spend in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose the last bit of news really was the other results in the league. I, I noticed we went up to twelfth and then back down to thirteenth as a result of the results on Saturday. So um, some interesting ones around around the place, wasn't there? And Wimbledon beating Portsmouth stood out to me. I saw a whole load of jack it out kind of chat on uh, Twitter on Saturday night. So yeah, as you said, Portsmouth are in a bit of a crisis, aren't they? Yeah, they're really struggling. Um, really struggling. They lost um, one nil um, to Wimbledon. Um, Wimbledon have got quite a few results together at the moment. Yep. Um, another funny result I thought was um, Rochdale beating Bolton. Bolton were winning one nil. 
um, for quite a while, and then Rochdale came back um, and took took all three points, which I thought was quite funny. And obviously, there's a new manager in Sunderland, um, and those fans, yeah, the pain keeps continuing. They lost to Wickham one 0 away, and and Ipswich lost to Accrington today, didn't they as well? Which is one we haven't got on this list yeah. yet. That, that's a fantastic result for Accrington. Yeah, Toto had a, a shocker on uh, live game today on <laughs> Sky Sports. Yeah, he gave away a penalty, <laughs> gave away the first goal, Brilliant. lucky not to get sent off. So that was good money in the bank from. Uh, from our transfer dealings there. <laughs> oh, poor Toto. And we'll wrap it up with uh, predictions. Obviously, we've got Gillingham, which um, we've got two games. We've got Gillingham at home, haven't we? And then we've got Sunderland at home on Saturday. So my, my thoughts are we'll probably win one, lose one. And the logical sense is that we beat Gillingham and lose to Sunderland. Sunderland are not doing great this season, but I, st- I still think that it's one of those places where they'll expect to come and win. So we're going to predict the Sunderland game. I'm going to go for us to lose 1-0 I think we'll be tight but we'll probably just you know a little bit of quality like when we played them the other time we'll, we'll shine through so don't know what about you guys Phil what do you reckon you go first um, why not change the habit of a lifetime and stick with a 0-0 <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go um, for a one all draw okay well there we go two draws that would be okay wouldn't it I mean yeah they've not well I hope we win on Tuesday night against Gillingham that's the thing Ollie if we win if we win against Gillingham it's then a free hit against Sunderland isn't it yeah which is which is when you were talking about pressure on that game having Sunderland coming up which will be a game we'll, we'll worry about and one of our harder games of the season if we don't get three points against Gillingham then suddenly you're into a little bit of a run without a win um, so so who knows I, I'd, I'd like to think that we'll do the business on Tuesday night under the lights and uh, maybe maybe open the taps and score a few goals and then try and have a have give uh, Sunderland a blow nose we've played some of the big teams when they've come down at the ground haven't we a few times like remember beating Sheffield United when they were down in our league at home and so it has happened hasn't it Wigan wasn't it Wigan oh no we lost to Wigan 5-1 so maybe I'm talking rubbish but yeah it's a game what I'm looking forward to Sunderland at home anyway they'll bring bring a, a full stadium as well won't they yep Definitely, I'll be on the Roker Report in the midweek, oh, okay. so share, sharing our views with those guys, and a bit of, bit of D-love love. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, we'll leave it there then. I mean, it's just worth thanking Phil again for joining us, and we'll look forward to some more interesting stats from you know the new the new stat guru of Shrewsbury Town fan base. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Phil. We'll have you on again if you, if you want to come on. It'll be more than a pleasure to have Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite, and hopefully see you at Wickham. Oh yeah, yes, I'm going to be there. We, well, we've got an away sports game that morning, Phil, if you want to play. I think I've already just... Dis- have you already got permission from the wife for that one uh, or not? Let me double check. <laughs> <laughs> there we go I'm going to be sorting out my, my players on the for the away sporters on the podcast right now on Ollie you'll just have to get used to that but um, yeah so I'll be there we've got a game in the morning at uh, Watford so we'll, we'll be there but yeah don't know I think that's where to leave it Ollie anything else yeah. to add <laughs> no thanks Phil for joining us on the pod thanks for the stats it's been um, yeah, a really good podcast and hope everyone enjoys it good stuff we'll catch you next week see you guys oh!